This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to another Saturday episode of the 1871 podcast. Mark isn't with us again for a couple of days, he's away. Um, so it's me. Um, but we'll be back tomorrow when we'll be choosing our greatest Reading manager from the last 50 years. Um, so join us for that. That episode is available from 10am tomorrow. So now it's time to introduce today's guest. And I'm really looking forward to this one. It's Andy Halls from the Sun newspaper, but also more importantly, a Reading fan. Hi, Andy. How are you? I'm very well. How are you, Johnny? Good, good, good. Looking forward to this. So Andy, just give us a quick, very, very brief of what you do work-wise. Uh, so, a journalist at the Sun. Um, don't know that put you off. We're, we're, I'm not as bad as as you'd imagine. Well, actually, you know what? People meet people from the Sun. They go, "God, you're not as bad as I thought you'd be." And you think, "Well, that's nice." But it's so crazy. <laughs> I've been at the Sun coming up to 13 years. Started there when I was um, at university, um, and I cover all the TV for the Sun. So everything from Love Island to X Factor to you know some of the big sporting events occasionally. And I've been doing that for quite a while now. So oversee the mags, the website and the newspaper's telly coverage. And then when I can, watch Reading. But <laughs> it's not been that enjoyable of late, as you all know. No. So you know, obviously you're now on you know, 18th Century Podcast. I mean, that's the pinnacle of your career. Um, how, how about you know, when you became a Reading fan? How was your journey of Reading? Tell us, go through the stages. Yeah, so I'm well, born and bred, born at the Royal Barks. Uh, me and my brothers all born at the Barks. Born and bred in Tyler, so I now live in Goring, actually, so I'm back in, nearly back in Berkshire, just the wrong side of the river. Um, managed to convince my wife to move back to the Shires from London, uh, but supported Reading since the, well, the mid-90s. So my dad, Keith, who was actually a Leeds fan, uh, but moved to Reading when he met my mum, and he decided you had to support your local team. I'm not going to force you to support, you know, the Premier League side. So he took me and my brother, David, down to Elm Park, I remember our first game, I think it was March 97, Bradford City at home. We drew nil-nil. Literally nothing happened. I remember Phil Parkinson got booked. And other than that, literally nothing happened. It's a miracle I ever <laughs> went back. But I was hooked. I just, I just loved the atmosphere. I remember walking, you know, up, up to the Tylest end where we were stood. And I remember sitting with my dad, or my, my dad holding me, and me and my brothers watching the football. And just remember thinking, I love, I love football. It was just after, you know, that Euro 96 aura took over the country. Yeah. 
And I remember, I remember being obsessed with David Seaman. And, you know, I remember my dad tells me now that I was obsessed with David Seaman because I thought his name was hilarious, which <laughs> as a six-year-old, I thought it was funny from like a submarine point of view. Now I think oh, it's, it's amusing in a slightly more immature way. But I was just hooked. So I just love football. So I just remember dad took me down to Elm Park, said, look, this is your local side. Support them if you want. Got hooked. It was a season ticket holder all the way through to the Madstad. And then I thought, actually, it was a season ticket holder for the glory years and just before a lot of the rubbish years after 98 and through. And then when we just started getting good, I went to university. So I missed a lot of the home games because I went to university up in Preston. So actually, when we got, I'm like the opposite of a glory hunter. I'm like a glory avoider. Like we finally, we win the league, 106 points, great times, you know, best moment in our history. And then off I go to university, which then meant I get to go to all these amazing, you know, stadiums in the Northwest. I mean, I've been to Burnley, Blackburn, Preston more times than I care to admit, but it helped me tick off a lot of those 92 because I used to go home and away when we could. And then, you know, and then I've followed Reading ever since for my sins, you know, up, down, up, down. And, and as it stands now, massively down, I think. But you know, hopefully better times ahead. We, we stayed up. Hopefully we can get ourselves sorted this summer. But yeah, it's been a it's been a roller coaster ride. It has. Are you, are you a season ticket holder now, or are you? I'm not. No, I'm not now. Just purely because. Um, well, it would probably end up in a divorce if I was there every Saturday. But I go when I can. I go when I can. I'm always. I always watch and I always listen. Um, and when I can be there, I'll be there. My problem is, is I get very excitable. So if I go to the Madstad or the select car leasing stadium, which I can never bring to myself to say, I know that I'm going to have a couple of beers in town, a couple of beers at the stadium, and then I'll end up back in town. And before I know it, I'm in, you know, wild lime until 1am and my missus is like, where are you? So I basically can't be trusted to go to the football. So I have to watch it at home sometimes. But no, I might get one next year. We'll see what happens this summer. I'm not, I hope she's not listening to this. <laughs> yeah, no, she won't be. Don't worry. <laughs> I'd like to say, going back, you know, in the early days, what was your, your fondest memory at Elm Park after your, your first game? Is there something that stood out for you? Sure, I remember sitting, the only time I sat in a seat at Elm Park, we played West Brom. I think we won 2-1. And I remember sitting, I can't even remember which stand we were in, truthfully. I just remember sitting in a seat, um, went with my dad and one of our friends. I remember thinking, this is amazing. Like, this is like the height of opulence. I'm sat in a seat watching football. It's like watching TV, watching it on telly, but you're there and you can feel it and you can smell it. But I just, I used to just love going with my dad. My dad, we still, my dad doesn't go to Redden so much now. And he, yeah. he's a sort of, again, glory, not a glory hunter. He still follows Leeds. So he's about to, we'll play them next year, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I just loved going with my with my dad and my brothers. And then when we were at the Medeski, we had a season ticket in B17 in what is now obviously the Eamon Dolan stand. And, you know, the people we sat with, we were, you know, my, my sort of formative years as a growing man were spent with my brothers, my dad and everyone around us watching the greatest era of probably Reading Football Club's history. I just remember thinking, I just remember going to games thinking, we're going to win today. And just like leaving, having won. And thinking, God, we're untouchable. And then getting to get into the Premier League and, you know, seeing some of those players that you just never imagined Reading would play against, you know, like your Ronaldo's, Lampard, players like that. You're like, this is amazing. And getting to go, I used to go away pretty much as often as I could and, and could afford. And getting to go to some of those places and watch your team and actually watch your team win sometimes. I remember going to Man City away and we won 2 0. Yeah. Now you look back and you watch them dismantle Wolves last uh, the other night and you think, 
yeah, wow, our team held our own against them a few years ago before all the oil money trickled down. So you're like, they were great times. And, you know, they make the times like now easier to stomach because you know that they've been, those times have happened, and there's that hope they'll come back. But they feel a bit distant currently. But We always live in hope, don't we? <laughs> hope that kills us, Johnny. It's the hope that kills us. <laughs> did, did you have, you know, in the, in, in the glory days and such, did you have a favourite moment favorite player that you you just he was your hero but my my hero was always Graham Murty like was just always Graham Murty I just loved him from the moment he signed for Reading and just used to think he was a brilliant club captain he was one of those players that if he played poorly the whole team played poorly yeah and I think there's a there's very few of those types of players still in the game I think um but in Reading's pomp you know in the 106 season and the seasons preceding that if Mertz played poorly they all did. It just felt like something in the machine wasn't right. Yeah. And that year when it all clicked and came together, I mean, the, that moment when he scored the penalty, I just, even yes. thinking about it gives me goosebumps. And him decapitating Kingsley, and <laughs> just the, you know, being on the pitch, the final at Derby, everything about that season was just sort of epitomised, I think, by Graham Murty. Yeah. And then, you know, we got to the Premier League. We had one great year. It started to... You know, people sussed us out a bit, but Mertz was always, yeah, was always the guy for me. In fact, where we live now, the, the reason we bought this house is because the developer, <laughs> stupid this and very like silly, the developer's sign for the houses had a dog on it and the dog was called Murty. <laughs> the only reason we looked at the house was because the dog was called Murty. And then when I got talking to him, it turned out he was a huge Reading fan and named his dog after Graham Murty. So I feel like Graham Murray's like seeped into all my pores. I remember one surreal moment when I first started as a journalist. So when I first joined the Sun, I wanted to be a sports reporter and then ended up in showbiz by sort of fluke. It's very similar, really, showbiz and sport because you're basically getting paid to write about these people who are held in such high regard, but are essentially still human. And I was at Aldershot Town. I remember this really clearly. Aldershot had Man United in the FA Cup. It was this huge thing. You know, Dean Holdsworth hosted us for the day. And I was walking up these stairs up at Aldershot's ground and Graham Murty just started walking down the stairs. And I just went, all right, Mertz, as if we were like old friends. He didn't have a clue I was. And he went, oh, hello, mate. How are you? I'm like, what the hell are you doing here? And he was like, oh, I'm doing my badges. So this was before he got into, you know, Rangers and coaching. Yeah. I just remember thinking, God, this world is going to let me meet all my heroes. And on like day one of going out on the beat as a sports sport at the Sun, I bumped into my ultimate hero. And then actually I realised that sports journalism is quite a lot of willy-waving and, you know, it's a bit of a boys' club. Or it certainly was 10, 15 years ago. Maybe it's changed but now. So I didn't stick with it. But I just remember thinking, God, I'm going to meet all my heroes. I'm going to literally meet my sporting heroes and get paid to do it. What a great job. And who's, who's the other... Have you met all the other Reading heroes that you idolised at that time? Or is there someone that you're missing? That's a good question. I don't know. I, I met Johnny Salarco years ago as well. And, and, I, and I listened to him when he was on the other week. And, and you know, what? listening back to some of your old podcasts, you know, John Mackey, people like like proper players, like yeah. players who you think, God, you look at our current crop, how many of them would run for a brick wall for this club? Very, very few. You could count them on one finger. But like those players, I have never met John Mackey. I think he's is he a flower salesman now. So it's like, he, he's a Fruit veg, I think. Fruit and veg. Yeah. And, you know, those players, I would love to meet all those guys. But I've, I've met fleetingly. I, I used to also, you know, me and my brothers would stand obsessively at, like, the players' lounge entrance and try and meet them all when we were kids. And 
I still do. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you never grow out of it, Johnny. You never grow out of it. And we'd, we'd like stand at the front in the North Stand and, you know, try and get autograph books signed. So I met a few of them, but no, I've, I've come into a contact with a couple of them over the years. I actually met a couple recently and they they were eye-opening conversations, a couple of them, to be honest, about the current setup at Reading. Very interesting. But as you are a journalist, maybe, uh, you know, maybe mention a couple of those on here well yeah I, can't, I, I won't tell you who they are because you know it's main confidence but one of them again player we'd all, all know we would have all watched and all loved yeah. told me about you know the, the McDermott Coppel game the, and I tweeted this a couple of weeks back actually but they were saying that there was a bit of upset amongst some of the legendary players in the 106 team specifically because the club had basically said to them look, we're not covering your expenses. So if you want to play in this game, you make your way to the Medeski or select Carlisle Stadium. You know, it's saying we're... And if you think about... You think of footballers in, the, in that sort of gilded world they live in. Oh, they can cover a flight. They can cover a hotel. But why should they? I mean, does that not... Is that not indicative of the club right now and yeah. the disconnect and, you know, the apathy towards the fans and some of its legends? You know, telling players like Marcus Hanneman, Bobby Convey, I'm talking far-flung players. You need to pay for a long-haul airfare so that we can earn some money in ticket sales and sell it for merchandise. That doesn't feel right to me. And unless I've missed an announcement, I haven't seen Hanneman and Combi announced yet. And so my hunch is that the player who was telling me this stuff is not not far of the mark. So no. it's pressing that. I don't like to hear that because, you know, that would never have happened under Sir John. It would never no. have happened under Sir John. And you think, you know, the heart of our club is not only our history, but our future. And there has to be a connection between the two. And disrespecting players that put us where we are now, for me, is not, not a good thing to hear. No, and I think Feds and, and Lafondra, because they're over in Oz, aren't they? And I don't think they've said they're coming along yet. You know, they're, that's it. Again, they're all heroes to us, aren't they? Both those teams. And you're kind of going, well, if you're going to have a game, get those guys there. It's... Totally. I mean, like, neither of those teams would have worked without those four players we've mentioned there. I mean, no. particularly the 106 side. I mean, Convy, you look at actually the 2004-05 team, there's not that much difference between the, that team and the one that won the league with 106. Convy yeah. was one of the real big signings that year. You didn't, like, yeah. it was pretty much the same back four, pretty much the same middle. You know, we brought in Lita and Doyle. Doyle can't be underestimated. But Kitts was there. Sidwell was there. You know, Sonko, the Ingemarsson, they were all there. So, like, a player like Combi was actually completely integral to the 106 side. And Alfie, my God, I mean, one of my greatest moments watching Reading play, I was at Southampton when Alfie scored that goal. And actually, I was there on a freebie and I was sat in the Southampton end. And it was, I have never under-celebrated such a big moment <laughs> so, so much. I remember this there with my mate Dave and we were just sat on our hands when Alfie scored that goal. I just remember thinking, it's happening again. But I can't celebrate this time. <laughs> I can't even go on the pitch. But yeah, Alfie's got to be there. Of course he has. But again, where's the communication? Where's the link up between those players and the and the current owners? Hopefully that will change. Yeah, sad. Now, I mean, what and what do you think of the, the general decline you know, since the good days? You know, if since since John stood back and watching it just gradually fall apart. What's your view? I just think it's been poorly run. I mean, if you run a business badly and more money goes out the door than comes in, then, you know, you're on a hide into nothing. And some of the decisions we've made over the years, financially, you know, I mean, some of the ownership decisions we've made, you look at some of the people that have owned us before the current owners, where were, were the fit and proper checks done? Were they really? I don't know. 
the Zingarevich money, which never, I mean, the minute when he, we were told that there was a, a paper pulper was coming to buy the club, I remember thinking, that sounds a bit funky. <laughs> that doesn't sound great. I mean, maybe he's, he's a legit guy in Russia, but I remember thinking at the time, that's a bit worrying. And then, you know, we had the tie owners in the middle. That, that didn't quite seem as it seemed. And now we're, we're where we are with, you know, Mr. Young, and it still feels like something's wrong. I mean, you look at his track record of owning football clubs. It's not successful. It's, they, I feel like he treats football clubs like toys. And the concern is that we end up like another one of those clubs. So actually, you know, I actually I didn't disagree with the protests because, you know, stuff only happens when people raise their voices a lot of the time. But there is a risk that we scare those owners off and they go, right, sod it. You know, we've pumped X millions in. What have we got to show for it? Scraped against relegation. We're not challenging for the top seven in any way. You know, why would we, why would we pump more money into it? We're off. And then where does that leave us? Because right now with FFP, no real guidance. We haven't got a manager really, unless between now and Saturday, you know, now and whenever, <laughs> inside the contract, you know, who knows? Yeah. So right now we're like a ship with no rudder. We've got NAFL players and we're not an attractive proposition. You've got clubs like Brentford, less than 50 miles away. Why would an owner try and buy a club like Reading? I don't think they would. So right now we have to be slightly thankful for the people who own us, I think. Hope they keep putting money into it and stick with it. But they need to also change their approach. They need to con- you know, communicate with the fans. I totally agree with all the stuff that Star have been doing, you know, banging that drum about improving the match day experience. I think the match day experience has never been worse. I mean, yeah. there's no programme. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. The food's rubbish at the stadium these days. The general atmosphere is just disappointing. Club 1871, I think, has been a great success, but that's a pocket of fans still. The general mood is just really, really sad and depressing, and it's that can only be changed by the people at the top, I think. Yeah, and like I'm on, I'm on the board of start, and you know, believe me, we've been trying and trying to get, you know, communication is the biggest key, isn't it? it even if it's bad news, you rather you hear, you rather hear something, but you just hear nothing, and I think that causes, you know, as it's done the protest, isn't it? Mm. And like now, now it seems, you know, we're at a kind of a crossroads for our future. We managed to stay up this one, but next year's not looking particularly good. What's your views on uh, Boomerang Bowen possibly coming back? Sure, I'm into it. I texted my brothers yesterday uh, just saying I'm into this. And I think I think we need someone. What there needs to be is there needs to be, like you said, communication. But there needs to be a middle person between the owners and first team affairs. I, don't, I mean, maybe it was different when Sir John was running the club and he spoke to Steve Koppel day in, day out. But I don't think that's how the club works or football works anymore. There needs to be someone with a football brain. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And I actually think we treated Mark Bowen a little bit harshly, you know, in the yeah. in the charade that was director of football, then manager, then he was gone, then he was he coming back? Oh, I don't know, now he's back. I think if you've got football people around the club, that's what we need. I mean, people like Nigel Howe are football people who also ran football yeah. clubs. Having those sort of people in clubs 
can only end in a good way. The minute you start getting Ron Gourlay or people like that back, then <laughs> I mean, good luck to West Brom. Good luck. You're he's working need- his magic there already, isn't he? Exactly, yeah, <laughs> took him from on the cusp of automatic promotion to mid-table mediocrity. What a guy! But yeah, I think it's good. I can only I can only think it's a good a good move. I think it adds stability. It adds football knowledge to a club that is severely lacking in it. You know, I would have liked to see Brian McDermott back in some role. You know, director of football, chief. I don't know what it is. I don't think manager. I'm not sure he's the right no. manager. But someone who loves the club, like he inherently loves Reading Football Club. He spent so many years here. He's probably pick it, picked up our greatest ever signings. You know, he's the one that is basically formed that 106 side and transformed it from the year before. And Koppel led them, but McDermott built it. So I don't know. I think I think Bowen being back is the first step in the right direction. But I think we need to sort the managerial side thing next. I mean, we just need some clarity on all yeah. fronts. It does feel very much like a constant gamble, doesn't it, with the, with the owners that we've had? It's just like, we'll try this and hope it works, whether it's Paranovic, whether it's it was Gap Stam and the previous owners. And it just, and, and just sorry, okay, oh, that didn't work. So let's just try another one. And how I think it has to be stopped, doesn't it? Like a reset of this mindset of them. We need to go long term. But is Ince the man to lead us long term? I don't think he is. I personally, I mean, credit to the man, he's kept us up. You know, he's got. He got our players playing when they look like they could they literally look like 11 competition winners some of the time <laughs> under the last days of Paranoid. It literally looked like they, 11 strangers have been scooped up in a pub. Yeah. So credit to Paul Ince. I, I still think he. you can write what Paul Ince knows about football managerial stuff on a post-it note. But, you know, there was that brilliant picture where it was just his pad and it said, shoot. And you think, God, I don't think he's improved much. <laughs> But, you know, he's got them playing. At least the the team spirit that used to be about the place was clearly back towards the end. You know, players like Josh Laurent, who looked like he'd just given up, suddenly was a world beater again. Lucas Zhao looked like he he had a first touch again. You know, our defence suddenly looked like they were back to their, not to their best, but at least weren't shipping four, five, six, seven goals a game. So credit to him for that. I mean, another another thing, another ex-Reading player told me the other day, um, again, I won't name them. They basically said that they'd spoken to Paul Ince when he first took the job. And Ince, he said to them, you know, big project, great job, great place, but it's a big project and you've got your work cut out. And Paul Ince replied saying, the only reason I took the job is to get Tom some game time. That was all he said. Wow. And you think, and that sounds like I've just plucked that up. Yeah, but it's, I could not tell you. I can't see where it's from, but it was from an ex-Reading player who was insistent that conversation happened. And you think, right, is Ince the right man for this job? Or is he just getting Tom Ince from game time? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. In hindsight, I think Tom Ince actually turned out to be one of our best signings this season. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think you certainly look at the effort, isn't it? And I think, you know, over the last time of years and, and the players that we've had on paper and you look at them and we're constantly finishing 18, 19, 20, something wrong. And I, and I hate the term mentally weak is you know from from the yeah. stuff that I do but as a team we just don't ever really seem to have that do we that that fight mm. and togetherness we've got some great players but it just doesn't seem to work well on paper you look at our team at the start of the season fully fit we should be challenging for the playoffs there's no yeah. doubt you know Lucas Shaw up front Liam Moore on paper is a very good footballer like he he's got all the attributes to be a very good footballer 
you know, our back four, back five, whatever you want to play, they're good. They're good. They're a good side. You know, Raphael was one of our, personally, I think, one of our better keepers in our history. And then again, he looked like he couldn't catch a cold all of a sudden. And then he's punching walls. Luke Southwood's coming in, bless him. And, you know, that didn't quite work out. And then we didn't really have an option but to drop him. And then Carl Hine comes in, who it just so happens, got Kier as an agent. And, you know, it all gets a bit funky again. Yeah. But on paper, great side. But you're right, fragile. The, the mindset we seem to have, we go one down and you think we're never fighting this game. Like, it's over. The, the contest is over before it's begun. The minute we had to chase a game, we looked like we'd lose it completely. Yeah. And then the minute we score first, you just were waiting for the equaliser. Like the derby game at home. You just knew that was going to happen. Like everyone could see it. It was coming a mile off and then it happened. And you think, here yeah. we go. But you're right. I don't know. What changes that? Another manager? Do you get a sports psychologist yeah. in? I don't know. Like what is the answer there? But having someone like Mark Bowen in a position of power who can pull some strings and at least knows what to you know, how to make a professional football team professional again. Hopefully it's a start, isn't it? Yeah, it's a start. But there's that's a baby step. It's a baby step. What what we really need is we need some clarity about financial fair play. You know, are we going to be able to sign players? We're coming to that, we've got about a week now until we're gonna have to just let all these players go. Who who are we signing? Like who's staying, who's going? You can't build until you put the foundations in. And we don't even know what the foundations are yet. It's like it's like we're building on mud. It's just all over the shop. I think uh, one positive, though, out of last season, out of anything, was the Easter weekend, wasn't it? Oh, the, yeah. Uh, Great. That was, that, yeah. Was that, that was like the old days, wasn't it? Almost. Yeah, but again, we're almost celebrating mediocrity, aren't we? I know, we're, I know. We're, we're it's like, clutching the straws. <laughs> really clutching the straws. But when it's been as rubbish as it's been, you kind of have to. So you're like, you know, Tom McIntyre over that this period. I mean, the bloke's like etched his name into like the Reading History books. Again, you hope that someone like Tom McIntyre, we build the side around, you know, you keep it, you get a decent keeper in. Hopefully, I actually thought Nylon was good, except for his win <laughs> at Luton. Yeah. I still don't know what's gone on there. He literally must have been thinking about being on the beach. And then before you know it, he's had his pocket picked. But you have Nylon at the back, McIntyre in midfield, you keep Zhao. You've got Ajaria maybe in a freer role now, Swift isn't there. Maybe that's not a bad thing for Ovi. Yeah. Might give him a bit of, you know, create freedom. You've got the, the spine of a decent side there already, a decent centre-half, a decent midfielder, a decent striker. You start convincing a couple of the other players to stick about and we're looking all right. And then you have to sort of blood some of the talent through, of which there seems to be quite a lot, judging by some of the successes of the under-23s. So, you know, there's reason to be optimistic. But then every time there's a moment of joy and like optimism, you feel like it's taken back. So it's like... Yeah just tell us who's going to manage us next year and like yeah who's going to be managed that's that's all i can think at the moment it's just like give us some clarity it, it just it just seems like like you say with you know 14 players out of contracts you know we also, at least say you know that we, we all know what a stuff up that was from last year and he's now got a longer contract with palace to the next bigger fee if he's leaves and all that stuff but the the off the field stuff is a mess isn't it what do you think i mean we've talked about what could happen in your eyes, what do you, where do you think we're going to be next season? I, th- I think we're going to be in a massive relegation scrap. I think... For a change. I think, <laughs> I think, well, the only thing you can hope is that we at least start with a zero points. I mean, that that is my great hope, which is really tragic as like a, a starting point for the season. It's like, please don't deduct us points. <laughs> but then the club seems to, you know, they seem to know what the parameters are now. 
and that clearly it's been spelt out you know when we brought Carol in that was within the parameters we managed to get rid of Pauno within the parameters and bring in Ince within the parameters and you know some of the horse trading with Pusky going off to Pisa and Moore going off to Stoke that clearly was within the parameters so as long as we now know the rules and we can stick to them and hopefully build something within those parameters I think we can do something, but I just, I can't see anything but eradication scrap next year. Yeah. As you say, 14 players out of contract. It's just unprecedented. Yeah. And that, that's clearly a Gourlay thing, you know, the the lasting impact of his brilliance. But, you know. <laughs> Who would you keep, Andy, those 14 players? If you said, like, we can't keep all of them and realistically we're not going to keep Swift, are we? Say you pick five or six that you go, yeah, they, they would be... In... Andy Eardon for me is, is the first I'd, I'd make him club captain I, yeah. I, he should be club captain player like you know absolute player of the season for me I mean the first half he was pretty poor but to be honest they all were but that from the moment where he you know got the got in the face of the fans away and was like come on we're, we're trying here we're trying you can see it he cares I really hope yeah. he stays because I think he's I think he's a really good player. He's underrated. I have the row with my mates all the time who, and they think he, they remind him of like Andy Hughes, you know, like runs a lot, doesn't really do anything, but you need players who put in that 110%. And I think Andy's one of them. I don't, I actually wouldn't keep Swift. I don't think he'll stay anyway. No. You, I, I don't think it's a moot point. I wouldn't be breaking my back to try and keep him because I think we're fighting a losing battle. And I do think it's telling the only person that's interested in him, it seems to be is West Brom. So he's probably going to get a massive pay rise from Uncle Ron. And <laughs> so I, I don't think Swift's going to stay. Zhao obviously is in contract, so we'll keep him. Tom Holmes, I think we should be keeping. But I th- I'd actually think Tom Holmes has been one of our worst players this year. He's been really poor. But, but mainly because we didn't have any option but to keep playing him. In yeah. any normal situation, you take a young lad out of the firing line and give him a break. But... I was at QPR away and it was one of the worst defensive performances I've ever seen from Reading. And Tom Holmes was at the heart of that. So, I'd, I'd, I mean, Josh Laurent, again, would, I'd be keeping him all day long. I think he, you know, he's a, he's a could become a Reading legend in his, his own right. His goals this year towards the tail end have kept us up, really. His effort, you know, has kept us up. That goal at Barnsley, this is the biggest goal of our season, I think. So, I'd be keeping him. Uh, beyond that, I mean, Tom Ince is going to stay, obviously. If, if Paul Ince stays, we keep Tom Ince. Yeah, buy and one, get one free. Well, yeah, he'll take corners, he'll take free kicks, he'll take penalties, he'll take throw-ins, he'll dish out the half-time oranges, he'll get, he'll probably be <laughs> You know, he's staying. So, yeah. Who would you it's keep? Bizarre, though, isn't it? Who would you keep from the current crop? Well, I say it's, it's bizarre, isn't it, when you've got Andy Yeardong, as great as he was, is, is player of the season in a defence setting the most goals in the league. Like, it says how bizarre our club is, isn't it, at times, you know? Um, I, I would I'd keep Holmes because he's a local lad and, you know, he's got that Reading thing. I'm going to say he'd be first choice. You know, it depends who we get in. Morrison, although he looks like he's on the way. Again, what, op- what options do we have? You know, with... Bowen, you know, he got Josh Laurent, which proved to be one of the best. So you hope with Mark Bowen's knowledge, because there's players out there in the lower league, isn't there, totally. that can play. Um, I think somebody said the lad as a left back at Stevenage, I think Simon Cox messaged about him. Why not? He yeah. can't do any worse than what we've had, is it? That's the way I look at it. If they're young, hungry, and want to play, give me one of those. I've heard any Danny Drinkwater player. Do you know oh, what I mean? Like, 
I mean, Danny Drinkwater actually did come good towards his last few games, but again, if was if ever there was something that summed up the apathy from players towards our fans, it was Danny Drinkwater. He was dialing it in, couldn't give a toss, you know, looked off the pace. He, I cannot believe that man won the Premier League. Like <laughs> he he looked like he just stumbled out of paths and onto the Medeski pitch. Like he honestly, I couldn't believe he's won the Premier League. He looked so off the pace for so long. And maybe that's yeah. because he's not played a lot of first-team football, but that's his own fault, isn't it? He got sent home from Villa. He got sent home from Burnley. Chelsea don't want him. He'll be off in the summer. He'll probably end up in China and earn a fortune and live very happily ever after. But, yeah, I wouldn't be keeping Danny Drinkwater. Rinomoto I'd be keeping. Absolutely. Andy Rinomoto. I, I think there's a huge correlation between him and Josh playing badly. Again, like Murty playing badly back in the day, the whole yeah. thing fell apart. When those two didn't play well... Actually, when we played them in the wrong position, Paolo went through that phase where he played them in the wrong positions. And you just thought, it was working. Don't change it. For goodness sake, leave it as it is. And the minute we swapped it up, it all went to pot. So I think Rinomoto being injured so much this season's really cost us because he runs and runs and runs, doesn't he? So Yeah. And and Jacko's back as well. And I hope, no, just to see him back on the pitch this season was the biggest bonus for me because I think no one thought he'd get on and get fit. And I know he didn't score any goals, but I, I, he's another one that's the heart of the club for I me. Mean, you know, he's yeah, a guy that... Yeah, I agree. I love Yakimete. I mean, uh, he's just got ankles made out of glass, hasn't he? That's his issue. <laughs> I mean, literally, he sneezes and he breaks. And you just think, I hope he can regain his form and, you know, yeah. his presence. Because even though everyone just thinks all he does is run and run again, he's so good in the air. He's so good at those flick-ons. He's so good at being a presence. And actually, I know we can't make excuses. Everyone's had their stuff this season, but our injury list has just been unprecedented. I'm losing players like Mete, Zhao, you know, Puskas, we played him in the wrong system. He should never be up top on his own, bless him. And now he's played in the right system in Pisa and he seems like he's their player of the year. Yeah, yeah so, it's, it's, it's right. so frustrating as a fan, isn't it? When you're sitting there watching it, you're going, can't they see what we see that you pay your money and you watch the game and you're like, you're the manager, you're and I think a lot of it I find is the lack of energy. Yeah. You know, when you just expect the team to go out there and put the effort in. I don't, you're not going to win every game, are you? But when you see it's just a slow, tippy-tappy football, yeah. it's like, come on. There was just no incision, you know. There was never that decisive pass. And I just think the problem that probably stemmed from, though, Johnny, was that we just didn't have this depth. So, you know, yeah. those players were knackered because they were knackered. I mean, we, yeah. just, we didn't... And you're turning to the bench and there's loads of kids and you think... I can't, you can't throw them into the fire. Like, it would ruin their careers if they were chucked. And some of them were chucked in, don't get me wrong. But like, if you threw them into some of those moments like the 7 0 at Fulham and all of those, their confidence would be shot and they'd never recover. Yeah. But there was just no option. You turn to the bench and you've got kids. Some of them, like, literally haven't got their first pube and they're on the bloody bench. <laughs> dad, you're like, oh my God, this is all we've got to go to. No wonder we're, yeah. you know, it's a nightmare. Andy, coming coming to the end now. I just want to ask one. I, I heard a rumor that you may be on top of a mountain uh, sometime soon. Is this is this true? Is this just the Sun newspaper making it up? No, that's true. It's a true story. Always true stories in the Sun, Johnny. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, you know, when this podcast goes out, um, it, I'll be up Ben Nevis. Yeah, so I'm climbing the three peaks uh, across Saturday and Sunday. So I've got to do a morning twenty four hours. Ben Nevis, Scarfell Pike, and Snowdon. Uh, for the Huntington's Disease Association. So one of my best mates, Josh, his dad's sadly got Huntington's disease and it affects one in two of 
your your kids. So Josh, bless him, has lived for 30 odd years, assuming he was going to have this condition, which is sort of a dreadful mix between like Parkinson's and dementia. Yeah. It's absolutely dreadful. And he's just had the all clear Josh has. So we're trying to raise some, you know, vital funds towards research so that people don't have to go through not only what Phil, Josh's dad's gone through and going through, but that fear that it might be you next. So yeah, we'll be, yeah, I'll be up the mountain when this goes out <laughs> and hopefully could back you, down could, it again. <laughs> could you send us a link for any fundraising? Uh, yeah, absolutely. We'll put it up. Um, yeah, I'm sure people will donate to that. Andy, yeah. thanks so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It really has. Um, it's always good to talk as a fan about the good and the bad and the ugly of Reading FC, isn't it? Absolutely. There's a lot of bad and a lot of ugly, but here's, <laughs> here's to some good soon. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, so just a reminder that on tomorrow's episode, we are choosing our greatest Reading manager from the last 50 years. Uh, so that's it from us. And just remember, the episode is out at 10 a.m. And as Mark would say, come on, you ours. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.